Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, the first 10 verses. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Amen. Stephen. Let me add my welcome to that you've already received. Uh, just to say, particularly if it's your first time here today. And uh, if it is your first time here today, there might be a number of things that are going through your mind at this point. Uh, you might be thinking, they sing a lot of songs. You know, a lot of songs. I never anticipated. And uh, just say, you're so welcome. And we'd love to get to know you, hear a bit of your story. Well done for staying in this long. I sometimes feel if I tried church for the first time today, um, I would be, I'd probably get about a third of the way through the service and then, and then have to sneak out. But you have done really well to get this far, and um, we're so glad you're here. This is an exciting time at the start of a new year, and we're starting a series today uh, called Battles and Blessings. There are a lot of battles which are going on in the world at the moment. There are battles between nations and within nations. There are political battles going on. You probably know uh, better than I do that uh, 2024 is the year in which there will be the most number of national elections, presidential elections, uh, general elections, governmental, uh, prime ministerial elections for generations are going to happen in 2024. There's a general election in this country. Uh, there's also, someone told me, um, an election in a small nation on the other side of the Atlantic can't remember who might be standing for that, but, um, but there's a lot going on. So there are political battles, but there are also battles we face in our day-to-day -day life. And you might be facing battles in your workplace, maybe battles in relationships, maybe battles in your family. And at the same time as we're facing these battles, there are also real blessings. So uh, we've had battles over the last year as a church. We've also had real times of blessing. Just in December, during our carol services, over 4,300 people came to a carol service here at St. Aldate's. We estimate over half of them are people who don't normally come to church. It might be you're one of them, and you thought you'd dip your toe in the water for a normal Sunday service. Again, we're so happy you're here. Times of real battle, times of real blessing. And I used to think of it like you have a season of blessing, and then you have a season of battle, and then you have a season of blessing again. And so it's like one or the other. They're kind of like consecutive, sequential seasons in your life. But increasingly, I realize they're just two twin tracks that run through your life the whole time. And often you can be experiencing there a blessing, maybe in your family or in your relationships, and at the same time experiencing a real battle in the workplace or in another area. Sometimes you can be experiencing both at the same time in exactly the same area. Now, amazing things can be happening, but it can also be really contested. One of my great friends loves to say, 
No blessing goes uncontested. Often it's very much when we're in a period of blessing that contestation comes as well. And so we're going to look over these next few weeks about how we navigate receiving the blessings that God gives to us and navigating the battles that come their way with the blessings as well. And we're going to start by looking at what it means that you are blessed. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Paul writes here, he's in jail, in Rome, he's writing to a church, he's planted in Ephesus, and he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are blessed. And to be blessed is to have spoken over you a blessing, a desire for you to be given every joy and every benefit your heart and soul needs and longs for. And that is what God has spoken over you. But because it's God, he doesn't just speak it. His words have powerful, generative potential. They actually create the things which they speak into being. And we're told here, if you've encountered Jesus, if you place your trust in him, you're a saint. But not more than that, as, as, in addition to that, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're blessed today. You're blessed tomorrow. You're blessed when you wake. You're blessed when you sleep. You're blessed when you're excited. You're blessed when you're sad. You're blessed when you laugh. You're blessed when you cry. You're blessed when you celebrate great joy and when you grieve real sadness. When life is fantastic and it makes sense and you can see the road ahead of you clearly and when life is confusing and you can't work out where to take your next step, you are blessed. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And the blessing you carry might be one of the most significant things about you. In the Old Testament, we see that God's people traveled huge distances and they fought and they argued and they pleaded so that they might be in a position to receive God's blessing, to know God's favor regardless of the circumstances. People would give up almost anything else in the world to know that they had God's blessing. And people who had everything else in the world saw it as almost inadequate, insignificant, if they didn't also have God's blessing spoken over them. And so often in the Old Testament, that was material things, long life, possessions. But in the New Testament, what is far more treasured, far more significant, is spiritual blessings. In the New Testament, there are over 112 references to blessing. There are things like, blessed are the humble, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are those who are insulted, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, put it into practice, blessed are those who are forgiven, blessed are those who remain steadfast under trial, blessed are those who die in the Lord, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which means those who are invited to the party of all parties that Jesus is going to throw when he comes again. Blessed. And to be blessed is to receive God's favor, regardless of how it might look in the day today. You are blessed. And you've been blessed. That's something that's happened, but with an ongoing impact. You've been blessed in the heavenly realms. I can't necessarily say. To be blessed is to receive something that God has spoken over you, good things for your life. Good purposes for your life. And that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to go through that in great detail. Thank you for asking a great question. Any other questions? Simon's here. He'll answer them at the end. So um, <laughs> thanks, Sai. Um, if you've got any emails you want to send me, any questions you want to send me, my email address is simon.ponsonby at stalldayorguk 
That's the email I use for those specific questions. Um, You are blessed, and you have been blessed by the most significant person in the most significant place in the heavenly realms in a way that can shape your whole life. But if I'm honest with you, I often don't live in the light of that truth. It doesn't have a significant impact on the way I live my life. I don't often think that God has blessed me. I actually think on a good day, maybe God tolerates me. Maybe God, if I'm doing really well, might approve of me in some way. But God actively, dynamically desires and seeks to bless me. I find that a bit hard to believe. You know, does God really care that much about me? Does he really want to see those good things, every joy and benefit that my heart and soul needs and longs for? Surely that's a bit much to hope for. And I think it's easy to overlook because we're talking here primarily about spiritual blessings. And spiritual blessings tend to be hidden. They tend to be invisible, but also invaluable. I mean, if you're blessed with a car, you can see a car. It takes you places. If you're blessed with a meal, you can taste a meal. It tastes good, and you can be thankful for it. But spiritual blessings tend to be a little bit more hidden. Just want you to imagine for a second, if they weren't hidden, and you could see them, what that might look like. Like if people could see on you the impact of the spiritual blessings that God has spoken over you. Um, what that would look like. Maybe you glow in some way, or you shine as you walk down the road. Just imagine the impact that would have as you walked into the workplace tomorrow, glowing. And uh, you know, your teammates are like, what's with, what's with Sam? It's like, oh, have you not heard? What's happened? He's been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, He's a bit full of it now, but you know, it's like, you know, all oh, right, you know, and it's like, you know, you're in an interview and they're kind of deciding between two candidates. You know, what marks you up from their candidates? Well, don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I have actually been blessed with every spiritual blessing and in ways that I don't quite understand and you can't quite be sure of. That's going to rub off on the people around me, the companies I work for, and other people as well. You know, imagine on a first date, you know, you're sitting there glowing away. And they say, tell me about yourself. And you say, well, don't tell a lot of people this, but I have been blessed (laughs) with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. The Lord of all, who was there for the beginning of time, has spoken his blessing over my life. And therefore, in ways I can't even fully anticipate, his favor is working itself out in my life. What are you going to bring to this relationship? Yeah, it's there. It's in ways we can't even appreciate if we could just see it. But we can't see it, but we need to find ways of reminding ourselves of it because it's that significant that Paul, in this key letter that he writes from prison to this church he's planted, puts it right there at the start. Whatever else is happening, don't forget you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I was uh, reading uh, this week about Gen Z. Gen Z, just so you know, is my favorite generation, even more so than my own generation. I was told this week that I was an elder millennial, which is a crushing blow, let me tell you. And, um, and someone told me, you don't understand TikTok because you're an elder millennial. I was like, oh, it's like a knife to the stomach. True, but a knife to the stomach. You know, it's like, and, uh, and, and so I was reading, I love Gen Z. And one of the things I love about Gen Z is it's so, such a creative generation. Just brings ideas and enthusiasm and energy into environments, hyper-connected. So it's always seeking to connect and bring connections. Hyper-pragmatic as a generation. 
full of energy and actually quite informal. One of the things I love about Gen Z is they're not that worried about hierarchies or formalities or anything like that. And so what's interesting at the moment is you have, you know, those who are 18, 25 Gen Z uh, are hitting the workplace and they're hitting people who are Gen X and Gen Y and, and there's kind of, in, sometimes in quite formal context and their styles of communicating are a little bit more informal to the existing culture in the workplace. And there's some culture clashes that are taking place. Particularly, I read that this week around email sign-offs. I don't know if you've noticed this. So when I was a barrister, when I started in my 20s, you basically had to say, at the end of an email, you're sincerely. If you were a bit edgy, you would say kind regards. You know, you, if you're really pushing out, you might say best wishes. But that was on the edge, okay? Very formal working environment. Now, this is what one company was saying. They've had to give feedback to their Gen Z um, employees, their new starters, because of the email sign-offs that they were using. These are some real email sign-offs. So one guy at the end of, end of a form email said, that's all, folks, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Someone else at the end of a form email said, stay hydrated, Queens, Anna. <laughs> Someone else at the end of a formal email said, another day, another sleigh, Gemma. Um, someone else said, we understood the assignment. <laughs> Pete, so good. Um, someone else said, I can't believe he actually said this. He said, bless up, Adam. Someone else said, pop off. <laughs> Sam. Then this is my personal favorite. This, is, this person put this at the end of every email they sent. It's almost endearing. They, they write the whole email, and then this at the end. Please don't fire me, Bridget. Can you imagine? <laughs> Every day, please don't fire me, Bridget. It's just endearing. You're, you're warm to them. And I empathize this because I found it really hard because I had this very formal culture. And, uh, and I thought I was pushing the boat out when I said, like, many thanks or something. And, th and then I started working for a Christian organization, the Christian organization I worked for. Everyone, everyone signed their emails, love, love, Sam. Love, you know, Pete. Love, you know, Roz. I was like, these people don't know me. Like, it's quite forward. I was like, wow. And then I thought, like, I don't really want to put love because I don't know them yet. It's a bit like, what if someone's like, why are you saying you love me? So I was like, I, I put like, thanks. But then it felt like I was being passive aggressive. Actually, someone came to me and said, are you okay? Are we, are we okay? I was like, why? And they said, well, you just, you, don't, you put thanks. You don't put love. Do you not love me? And I'm like, well, I mean, this person is an account. I, I have never met them before. I'm like, well, well, in one sense, yes, I do love you. And in another sense, no, I don't. It's like, it's like we don't know each other yet. It's like, but I, in the end, I just went with the flow. It's easier. So I said, love, 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 love. And then I came here. Here. Blessings. You know? Blessings, Mark. Blessings, Simon. You know, it's like, what are these blessings? Where do they come from? What is their content? What do they mean? I don't know. It was just everything was blessings. Sounded quite holy. Sounded quite proper, you know. But I didn't really get it. It's a bit in, like, it kind of... Abstract. So I thought, I'll, I'll try and just be generous with it. So I said, every blessing. So if you've received an email from me in the last two years, I've said, every blessing. I don't know what that means. I don't know why I'm saying it. I just say, every blessing, every blessing, every blessing. Then I read this passage, I'm like, oh, it's a bit presumptuous of me. I'm saying, like, every blessing in the Spirit. It's not really in my gift to give that to you, but you know, I think a more proper way of doing it would be, have been for me to say, you know, I remind you that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been given to you in Christ. But that's a weird way to finish an email, if you're honest. So I think I'm just going to stick with every blessing, if that's okay. But we need a way of remembering. And this is my top tip to you today. If you're up for it, to remind yourself, as Paul wants you to know, that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ that has been given to you in Christ. That you would write somewhere this week. 
know, maybe on a post-it note that you put by your laptop, maybe on your save screen on your phone, and maybe you write it on your doorframe or on the back of your door when you leave your flat share. Maybe you put it somewhere in your office, maybe you just put it on the bottom of the whiteboard in your classroom, maybe you sketch it in blood in your operating system, no, don't do that. <laughs> but somewhere, ESB, remind yourself. You can take it one stage further if you like, for the, anyone feeling you know, risky. Only a week ago, the king announced the New Year's honours. You know, I've got, I'm at the age now, elder millennial, lots of my people I went to university with, a number of them got OBEs, some of them have got MBEs, a couple of them just been awarded CBEs. You have an ESB. So you can just say that. Why well, I dare you tomorrow on LinkedIn, just do a status like a humble brag. Just, you know, delighted to announce that I've been awarded by a royal family an ESB. <laughs> And um, this is a highly distinguished honor. Obviously, I only get, it's not really due to me, it's due to my team, and it's a recognition of the whole industry, and do all that stuff that you normally do. No one will say anything, because they'll think, oh, we probably should know what an ESB is. So they'll just go, yeah, that's great, and they'll like it, and, they'll, and then you can just, for the rest of your life, Stephen Foster, ESB. No one will ever ask you what it is, nor will ever say why you've got it there. But you need to find a way of remembering. It's too important not to know. You are blessed. Don't you forget it. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you are blessed. But the second thing we see in this passage, the second thing we see in this passage is what is your blessing? What's the content of your blessing? And what we see is Paul, from the start of this passage, just overflows with emphasizing a few of these blessings. It like pours out of him one long sentence in the Greek. It's like a river of blessing again and again and again. He's just like throwing out ideas of the ways in which you are spiritually blessed by God. And I'm just going to pick up four of them very quickly now. The first is that you're chosen. He says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And the idea of being chosen, I know, can be confusing at times. I find it confusing at times. It's not a basis for pride or for complacency. It's actually a basis for humility and holiness. It means this. If nothing else, it means that God's love for you comes before your love for him. It means that God's love for you will always be greater than your love for him. And it means that God's movement towards you always comes before, precedes your movement towards him. You might be here tonight, you're like, I think I'm searching for God. Allow for the possibility that God is searching for you, that he wants to know you. Why? Because you're chosen. Why? Because he wanted you. He came for you. Could have had anything in this universe, but he chose you before the foundation of the world. You are precious to him. He knew the cross of redeeming you before he created you, and he was willing to pay. And there are times, I know, I feel this at times. I feel lost. I feel, you know, rudderless. You feel like life doesn't make sense. But remember, you have not been thrown into this world. You were called into this world by name, by a God who chose you and who's taken hold of you. And though at times it might feel like your grip on God is fragile and weak, and it might slip at any time, his grip on you is steadfast and sure and eternal. You are chosen. He's not going to let go of you, 
and he can take you through every challenge you face. But then second, you're redeemed. In him you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And redemption, it means to be freed, to be forgiven. And there are times when I know it can feel like you're messing up. It feels like your, your regrets are chasing you down, like almost your mistakes keep boxing you in and there's no way out. Maybe, like me at times, you've doubted your value and you think, what is actually my worth? What do I actually bring to this world? Would anyone miss me if I was gone? But you've been redeemed through his blood. When we lived in our little home in East London, we had a little car, a little Ford Fiesta. And I love that car. And uh, someone had given it, oh, there it is, there's our little car. I love that car. Yeah, sweet. And uh, probably worth about 150, 200 pounds. Someone gave it to us as a gift. It was great up to a point, And that point was about 55 miles an hour. Above that point, wasn't so great. It rattled, the windows shook. It felt like it was going to take off. It felt quite dangerous at that point. And, uh, and also, you never quite knew when you turned the ignition whether it was going to start. We called it Horace because it was quite hoarse. It like went, and eventually it would kick into life. And then you were like, yes! But you never took that car for granted because it wouldn't let you take it for granted because it was always like you had to encourage it to get it going in the morning. And we loved it. And one day, um, we were away for a few days and we came back and we didn't use it very often. And then after a while, I just, I need to put out in the car and I went onto the street and I looked up and down the street I could not see the car I was like where has it gone other side of the street park it somewhere else no suddenly I was, someone had stolen Horace I was absolutely distraught so I had a strange number of reasons firstly because it's not worth anything and so it's like a silly car to steal easy car to steal you, know, you could do it with a screwdriver but it's not worth anything and, uh, but also it's like quite a hard car to steal it's like you know, it doesn't go very fast you know, it's like you can't make a getaway rarely gets over a speed bump. So it's like, I thought it was strange, but I phoned the police and said, look, our car's been stolen, need to make a crime report. Anyway, after, after a minute, he said to me, sorry, did you say your entire Hamlet? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, ah, yeah, 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 you might want to phone the council. I was like, why would I phone the council? He said, just, just phone the council. So I phoned the council, I said, hi, I'm just reporting a stolen car, and the police said to you, they said, what's your registration? So I told them, like, oh, no, no, yeah, your car hasn't been stolen. I was like, where is it then? They said, oh, we've taken it. I said, why did you take my car? They said, oh, because your parking permit expired and legally we're allowed to extract any car from the road that has an expired parking permit and we can do it 24 hours after it expires. I was like, we were away. They were like, yeah. And I said, we bought a new one. They said, yeah, yeah, we can see that on our records. I said, why did you take it? They said, oh, you haven't put it in your dashboard so we can still take the car. I was like, that's outrageous. That's worse than theft. Who do you think you are? You know, anyway, so they said, we've, we've put it. Um, stolen it, that's my words, not theirs. We've stolen it and put it in our, in our car prison. They said pound, but I, you know, it felt like a prison. And, um, and so you have to come, and if you want, you can come and pay and redeem it from the car pound. So I, was like, so I went down to Tahamlet's car pound and turned up, and it was like, you know, it was very sad. All these cars just kind of locked in this prison. Horace there just looked confused, you know. And, um, and I went up to the guy, and he said, oh, well, it's going to cost you quite a lot. And I was like, why? And he said, well, it's very expensive to extract a car from the road. You know, we need a special claw thing and da 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 So that costs quite a lot of money, so you have to pay. I said, like, oh, I'd have to pay for that. I didn't ask you to do that. He said, yeah, but you have to pay if you want the car back. So I was like, okay. And then, and then he said, that was seven, I was like, seven days ago. Said, so we've been storing it for seven days. It's very expensive. I was like, you don't have to feed the thing. I mean, what? It's like, you know, it's like seven days. And so how much is it? He said, 783 pounds. Uh, and I could see him, I looked at Horace, little Horace out there, and I looked at him, and he was like, to be honest, mate, it's much more than he's worth. If I was you, I'd just leave him here. 
And I felt this like, indignation rise within me. And I looked at our little car. I looked back at him and I said, it might be more than he's worth, but it's not more than he's worth to me. And I kind of took out our money. We paid for this, got Horace, drove him back, freed him from prison. And, uh, but in one sense, I can just imagine the scene in heaven when God says, we're going to redeem them. And we're going to use, we're going to use the blood of my son. I imagine there were probably voices who were like, they're not, they're not worth it. That's way too valuable. Don't do that. I mean, look at them. And God's like, no, no, they're worth it to me. You're worth it to him. You know, sometimes people go through their whole lives questioning their value, their worth. And you can think, oh, you know, I'm a low net worth person. I'm a high net worth person ultra high net worth person. No, no, you're none of this. You are worth what God was willing to pay for you. So you are a person of infinite, eternal worth. Beyond all comprehension of value. There's not a substance in the universe that even comes within a millionth of the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was shared for you to redeem you. You've been redeemed. You have extraordinary value. He, he's blessed you with his grace. Grace is like God riches at Christ's expense. His grace has been lavished on you. It's been invested in you. It's been poured out on you. And then adoption. You are not just saved from captivity. You're saved for freedom. You're not just saved from rebellion. You're saved for the most intimate relationship. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Jerry Packer, who came to faith right here in this church at the end of the Second World War and um, had an impact in North America on tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of people all through the 20th century. He was asked, how would you sum up the gospel? He said, I can do it in three words. Adoption through propitiation. Adoption through the cross. You've been adopted. And that's one of the most significant things about you. You have been adopted in love. No one was ever adopted reluctantly. I've journeyed with so many people who have been on the path of adoption. Some have, after years of trying and applications and interviews and desperately trying, they've been able to adopt. Just love has driven them there. Some haven't, but it's love that's driven them on that journey. No one adopts half-heartedly or reluctantly. It's an amazing thing. It's driven by love. And in our world at the moment, I don't know if you've noticed, there's so much anxious energy around the idea of identity. In our culture, people asking, who am I really? So much pressure on people, very young and very old, all through life, to define yourself, to construct your identity, to achieve your identity through some kind of status you can accrue through your life. A huge pressure. But the challenge is that anything you build of your own volition, your own choice, can feel a bit fragile. Anything you put together by your achievements and states can feel a bit fragile. And it can feel uncertain. I just want to reassure you today, at the start of this year, that your primary identity before anything else is that you are a much-loved, beloved child of God. A much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of God. Your identity is not up for grabs. Your identity is not something you achieve. It's a status that's been won for you that you receive. You have been adopted. 
grafted in. How? Well, Paul says, in Christ. I love in this passage, it just flows out of him. He says, you've been in Christ. He chose us in him, through Jesus, in the one he loves. In him we have redemption, under Christ, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in him. Again and again and again, he keeps hammering home this absolutely vital truth. And it's so important because I think there are times in life where you can think, and I think, you know, this is what it means to become a Christian. Like, you know, God offers us a contract. It's like, you know, if you give me your life, then I'll give you eternal life. And da da da, you place your trust in me. You're like, sounds like a good deal. And you kind of sign. And then you kind of got your little contract for Christianity. You're like, yeah, I'm a Christian now. I put it on my wall. And that's, you know, okay. And da 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 da. But it feels a bit external. It feels a bit extrinsic. It feels a bit over there. And it's kind of like, that's good. And hopefully it'll make a difference in my life. But it's like, the contract is signed, the deal is done. I've thought that so many times in my life, but it's kind of like quite a deficient understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Because what it means to be a Christian is, you know, say this is you. You are, when you place your trust in Jesus, when you are adopted as a child of God, you are put into, put into Christ. Placed within Christ. You are held. Someone said this to me 20 years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said, you are held with Christ in God. That's how secure you are. That's how secure your identity is. Key question in life is, where am I held? Who's holding me? Who am I in? And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've been adopted as a son or daughter of Christ, you are held in Jesus Christ himself. And that makes all the difference in the world. It means that you have access. You can approach God as Father. You have a heavenly Father. And he bends his ear to hear your prayers. Why we're doing these 21 days of prayer. The team make it really simple because they know I am simple. And so I'm like the base. So they say, can you pray three times a day? I said, I can do that. They said, should we make it simple? I said, yes. They said, 818. I said, I can remember that. Next 21 days, 8 a.m., pray for someone you know to come to faith in Jesus. 1 p.m., pray the Lord's Prayer, which begins, our Father. And 8 p.m., pray for this world, which desperately needs his love. You have access. You have love. You are loved. The Bible is a story of God's love from beginning to end. And the more you immerse yourself in this great story of God's love, the more it will become a joy in your heart to see how he has acted towards you. It's why we're encouraging people to make 2024 the year you read through the whole Bible. I've probably done that for over 11 years. I was doing it on Saturday. I read something, and I was so encouraged by it in the psalm. I was like, yes. Then I read the gospel. I was like, oh, no. It's like really challenging. I thought, I've got to send an email on Monday morning to sort something out based on what I read. It will shape your life because of the love that's all through these words. But not only that. Because you're adopted as a child, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He tells secrets to those who love him. He tells, lets his kids on the secrets. Says in this passage that all wisdom and understanding will be made known to us, the mysteries of his will. So because you're a child, you get inside information. And this book has inside information. You, know, you can spend your year looking through this lens, just looking through the screen, social media, the news apps, just letting that anxious presence just go deeper and deeper within you and letting that shape your vision. Or you can spend your year looking through this. 
and letting it shape your understanding of what's happening in the world and remind you of the truth that God hasn't finished with this world and he's going to return one day and transform it and he's at work even today in ways we can't even see or imagine even in the most challenging areas of our world you have inside information the Holy Spirit whispering things to you through his word a great friend of mine he says he's an entrepreneur so how do you find it being an entrepreneur you know all, all you have to do in business he says oh my faith is my competitive advantage Lots of people think pieces. I was reading all this week about what's going to happen in 2024, 2025. Lots of people in one magazine were, were imagining how the world might end. Climate change, war, this, that, the other. But we know. It tells us here. We know where the world is heading, that the Lord is going to bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is your advantage. This is your inside information. And then inheritance. It talks about that you've been adopted through Jesus Christ. You've predestined for adoption to sonship. And it's not about being a boy or a girl. Sonship, it just means it's the legal, full standing and adopted heir in the Roman world. That means you're a co-heir. That means you have the full inheritance that Jesus has. And sometimes in life we kind of weigh it up. It may be you haven't come to faith. You're still working out whether you want to become a Christian. Maybe you're working out whether to take the next step in your faith, do something daring or take a risk or really commit to church or really commit to pursuing God. You're like weighing it up in your mind. You're thinking of all the kind of prayers, you know, I like the songs sometimes, I like this, I like that, you know, people seem nice, cookies are good, you know, feels good, feels right, makes sense of my week. But there's the cons, it's like, oh, will people in my workplace react differently to me? Maybe it'll affect the relationships I can have, who I can sleep with, I don't know. Maybe it'll affect what I do with my money, what I do with my time. And you can think, is it worth it? And I know at times it can feel like you're weighing something, almost like it's 50-50, which way is the scale going to go? I wish I could show you. I wish I could give you a glimpse of the inheritance that awaits those who've been adopted as the children of God. I wish you could see it. It's amazing now, every spiritual blessing, but the inheritance that awaits you. I love the story of uh, a wealthy English baron, Baron Fitzgerald, and he only had one son, and he loved his son. Uh, but very sadly, his, his son died tragically when he was still young, and, and the baron was devastated by this, and actually the grief started to consume him. And so he needed a distraction. So he decided to invest his life in paintings and art and old masters. And he went around the world collecting these beautiful pieces of art and building up his collection. And then when he died, his will called for there to be an auction. And at this auction, there were people from all over the world who traveled because they wanted to see these valuable pieces in this collection. And they came to bid for them. And the Baron had laid down in his will very specific instructions about what was to happen at the auction. The first clause of the will, it said that the first painting to be sold was a painting called My Beloved Son. And it was a painting of the Baron's uh, son, which was done obviously before the Baron's son had died and way before the Baron was interested in art. And it wasn't particularly well done. It wasn't done by a famous painter or anything like that. Actually had very little value except for sentimental value. And in fact, only one person bid for it, someone who'd worked for the son for a number of years and who knew the son 
worked for the family for a number of years, and he knew the son and loved the son, and he just wanted it because he loved the son. And he bid for it, only person to bid for it, got it, and paid a very small sum. And then the lawyer stood up and read the second clause in the will, which said this, whoever buys my son gets everything. The auction is over. What Paul is really saying in this passage, what I think God would say to us today, is whoever buys my son gets everything, every spiritual blessing, everything you could ever hope for or desire today, and also the promise of an inheritance that will never spoil or fade beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Yes, there are difficult times. Yes, there are battles. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, there are dark days. Yes, there are confusing seasons. Yes, there are disappointments. Yes, there are things that don't make much sense this side of eternity. But you can know tonight that God has spoken over you every spiritual blessing. And his words are powerful and they're dynamic and they're at work in your life. And you can know that you have an inheritance awaits you because whoever buys my son gets everything I want to encourage you this year remind yourself ESB carve it somewhere graffiti it somewhere tattoo it on your wrist do something and remember that in him you're adopted and you have an identity which cannot be shaken and shall take you through life forever. In Jesus' name, amen.